Let's open the word of prayer. Let's pray and let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. We thank you for your word. It's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. We ask, Lord, now that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. And Lord, as we look at the greatest act of love in all of human history, when Almighty God left heaven, came to earth, and suffered and died in our place, Lord, may we not take it for granted. May we not take it lightly. We thank you, Lord, that we don't serve dead idols. We serve a risen and living Savior. So Lord, be glorified tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the back table there. If you want to just raise your hand, Pastor Josh will get you one. Anybody else need one? All right. So we will be back in First, uh, first Kings, uh, Lord willing, next, next uh, Thursday night. And this coming Sunday, we will be looking at the resurrection. So I want to encourage you to invite somebody. A lot of people go to church at Easter and Christmas, and they need to be invited. So invite them. Amen? Amen? Okay, that's better. All right. So let me catch you up a little bit, and then we'll dig into the text. So good news is it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, amen? Because unlike every other religious figure who has ever lived, everybody that anybody else considered a Messiah or a Savior, Jesus Christ is unique in that he is God. He is the creator of all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And he's the only one whose tomb or grave is empty. Can I get an amen to that? So guys, the, the message tonight, again, Joshua shared the same thing I was going to share, which is people ask me, why did you call it Good Friday? Shouldn't they call it Bad Friday? Well, let me ask you a question. If you were supposed to go to hell and spend eternity there and someone died in your place so you could go to heaven, how would you feel? That's why it's Good Friday. Can I get an amen? <laughs> We'd feel good and we should feel good. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. A mistake that has been made by far too many is to focus only all that our Savior suffered without grasping what he really accomplished. See, what Jesus did on the cross was the greatest victory in all of human history. It was the greatest thing that ever happened. It's what gives us hope and gives us peace. And most of you know, my mom went to heaven about 10 days ago and, and, and Charmaine Mocha went to heaven. And we've got a lot of people, one out of every one person dies. Can I get an amen to that? And we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. And if you don't know Jesus, you should be afraid. But if you know him, you close your eyes on earth and you open them up in glory. Amen. And heaven's better. So out of his love for you and me, he took our place. That we as sinful men and women can be cleansed from every ungodly act we've ever committed. Think about this. He knows you best and he loves you most. You've heard me say that a lot. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever thought or done, things you don't want anyone else to know, the things that you want to keep secret. He knows it all and he still loves you most. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen. He's a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God. Salvation is a free gift, but we must never think of it as being cheap because it certainly is not. It costs our Savior everything. So how do we determine the value of something, what someone's willing to pay? The next time you feel like you're of no value, or the next time you think you're alone, or the next time in the midst of things like COVID and difficulties of life, you feel like, you know, you allow your feelings to cause you to feel like you're of no value. You need to remember what was paid for you on the cross. Amen. Jesus died on the cross because he loves you. He would rather die than live without you. And he proved how valuable you are to him. Matthew 27, as we get to this text, I want to just tell you what's already happened as we get here, because we usually go verse by verse through the Bible. We'll be doing that again on Sunday and also on uh, next Thursday. And we go right through the Bible, but we always take time out to stop and look at the cross at least once a year because it should be. Amen. So, so far, Jesus has been falsely accused and arrested. If you'll remember, he's in the garden. He's praying. He even asked, if there's any other way, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He was betrayed by Judas for the price of a slave. If anybody could be grieving, I don't know if anybody could be grieving more than Judas, because he walked with Jesus for three years, and then he betrayed him for the price of a slave. He was denied by Peter. Peter's the one who said, I'll never deny you. Lord, they'll have to kill me before they, I, will, they, I will deny you, Lord. And then some young girl came up to him and said, you're one of his followers. It was the third time that he denied the Lord, and he went away weeping bitterly. He was abandoned by those closest to him. Maybe you felt that way before. Jesus walked with these 12 apostles, and all, all but John had abandoned him when he was at the cross. 
His own people to whom he had delivered the word and delivered from bondage, fulfilled prophecy before their eyes, uh, stirred up by the high priests and religious leaders were, were supposed to represent him and should have recognized him for who he is. And in a few short days, they'd gone from Hosanna, save now we pray you on Palm Sunday to crucify him. In four days, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, they were looking for a conquering uh, king. They thought he was going to come in and overthrow the Roman government and put them back in charge over Israel. And instead, Jesus came to die. And too often, people come to Jesus now because they want him to give them something, to make their life here on earth better. Guys, the best thing that could ever happen in the history of the world for us is that we, as sinners, can still go to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? And praise God for that. And that's the greatest gift that was ever given. So his blood, they cried out, crucify him, let his blood be upon us and our children. So now grab the outline, then we'll dig into the text. We're going to look at about 40 verses. I tell the message, the greatest act of love, the greatest act of love, greater love hath no man than this, and that he lay down his life for his friends. So how much does Jesus love you? All five of these points point to our Savior. Number one, he endured pain and mocking from wicked men so that you might be saved. He humbled himself out of love for you. Number two, even if it's time of greatest physical weakness and suffering, he pressed on out of love for you. Number three, he suffered as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. He felt the pain of sin and separation so that we might know the joy of intimate and eternal fellowship. He, he understood what the consequences of sin were as it was poured out upon him, and he knew separation from the Father so that you and I won't have to. Amen? He knew separation and he knew suffering so that we could be redeemed. Number four, he tore down the veil of separation between sinful man and holy God so you can enter into fellowship with the Lord anywhere and anytime. And then finally, he triumphed over sin, death, and the grave. We'll really be looking more of that on Sunday. So let's begin there, looking at point number one. And again, Passion Week had just taken place. The Lord's been there, right? He's been, been looked upon, been examined. They've mocked him. And let's begin there in verse 26. And point number one there, again, is... He endured pain and mocking from a wicked men, wicked men, so you might be saved. So beginning there in verse 26, and it says there, then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. If you'll remember that there was a tradition at Passover that they would let, as an act of mercy, one of the people that was uh, going to be crucified go free. And what they would do is they would come before the crowd and they would show us in an act of mercy, they were going to release one of the Jewish prisoners, the Roman government would. And certainly Pontius Pilate thought, well, I have found no fault in this man. But at the same time, he didn't feel like he could just let him go. So he brings up the worst guy in, in prison, the guy that's about to be crucified, a murderer by the name of Barabbas. And then he brings up Jesus and this should have been a no-brainer, choosing between Barabbas and Jesus as to who was to let go, be set free. Now, we also know that God is sovereign and Jesus had to go to the cross. Amen? But the crowd began to cry out, crucify him. And the sad part, it was the religious leaders who were largely egging people on. By the way, I'm not a big fan of religion. Can I get an amen to that? I love what it means, relingara, relinking sinful man back to holy God, but I've, I've, really, I've really disgusted why what it's come to mean, which is a bunch of man-made rituals and things that we add to the cross of Calvary. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, amen? He said, it is finished, as we will see later on in the text. And so they let Barabbas go, and then they take Jesus out, and they scourge him. Now, you can read a verse in the Bible and go right past it, but we're not going to do that. Because when you think about scourging, there's few things more heinous in all of human history than scourging. How many of you guys have seen The Passion of the Christ? Raise your hand. Okay. What's the hardest part of the movie to watch? When Jesus is being whipped. So the scourging was a cat of nine tails. They would put lead balls on the end and then pieces of glass and metal and rock and it had nine tails with multiple pieces. And what would happen is they would haul back and they take the person who's going to be whipped and they tie them around a post so they can't defend themselves. Often they would bring their feet up off the ground. So they're hanging off the ground. There's no way to move or defend themselves. And then they would take this flagellum and they would reach back. And when they let go of it, it would grab on 
in many different places. Each one of those had two, three, four spots where it would grab a hold. And when they would pull back, it would tear skin away with it. By the eighth or ninth lash, you would see organs being exposed. They would be bleeding and almost be unrecognizable. Often, the cat of nine tails would come around and catch the face, even pull eyeballs out. The Romans loved that they could perfect the most heinous punishment. Crucifixion was something that they created, and they created it to bring the greatest amount of shame and the greatest amount of torment, hoping it would be the greatest uh, way to keep people from committing crimes. So Jesus is being scourged. Now, the one thing about Jesus being scourged is different than everyone else. Jesus could have stopped it anytime he wanted. Can I get an amen to that? He could have turned the guy with the whip into a pile of rocks anytime he wanted to. He could have made him stop anytime he wanted to. Everyone else who was scourged would have made him stop if he could have. Jesus could make him stop. And the only reason he didn't is because he loves you. Can I get an amen to that? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. He suffered torment so you and I could be healed spiritually. I love my Savior for so many reasons. And one of the things that always grips my heart is to think about the fact that he took what I deserved. And he not only took what I deserved, but he did it and he saw it as the joy that was set before him. Tells us in Isaiah 53, again, that we have this picture of the crucifixion in the Old Testament. And it's 700 years before it took place. And it was all pointing to the Savior. At the end of the beating, the accused would be cut down. His body would fall to the cement where he would lay in a pool of his own blood. And most people died of scourging, but Jesus did not because he had to go to the cross of Calvary for us. So Jesus of course, did not die here. The soldiers stood him up. From the other gospels, we see that they brought him out and they threw a robe on him. And when they threw the robe on him, they, they had him hold up a staff, like a weak staff, because they knew that he was referred to as the king of the Jews. And so they were mocking our savior. And I want to tell you something, mocking can almost be as painful as scourging sometimes. Can I get an amen to that? When others mock you and make fun of you. And here he is, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. They were spitting in his face. They covered up his face and they hit him and said, prophesy who's hitting you. And if we could hear the Lord's thoughts, no doubt he thought, not only do I know who hit me, but I'm about to go to the cross because I love you. As next time that we feel like we've been treated unfairly, just remember the grace and the love and the mercy that our Savior showed upon the cross of Calvary. They stood him up out in front of everybody and they said, behold the man. And Pontius Pilate was trying to see, get pity for Jesus, but the crowd continued to cry out, crucify him. And then Pilate, as we know from the other gospels and it mentioned here a little bit, he goes and he washes his hands of Jesus. By the way, you cannot wash your hands of Jesus. Amen. You're either for him or you're against him. You, if you cannot, you, if you have not accepted him, you have rejected him. Amen. And, and praise God, if you know the Lord, you have the promise of eternal life. And if you don't know the Lord, I pray you get to know him today. Can I get an amen? So they brought him out like, look, are you happy now? Isn't this enough? Look what you've done to this poor man. So here we see it. The soldiers of the government, verse 27, took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed was in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. Now it's interesting. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. Now we know that thorns came into existence back in early in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and thorns are a representation of sin. Why? Because there were no thorns until they sinned. There was no death until they sinned in the garden. The plants didn't die. The animals didn't die. Nothing died until there was sin in the garden. And we know that in the garden, the first time we see the shedding of blood is for the covering of sin. They covered themselves with leaves and the Lord went out and slayed an animal and covered them with skins because without the shedding of blood, there can be no covering for sin. Can I get an amen? So they bring him out, they mock him and they take this crown and they crush it upon his head. And these thorns, you know, I've seen, you know, the thorns that they, they use that are two and a half, three inches long. They crush it in the top of his head. The blood is running down his face. He's got, you know, his body's all ripped open. They throw a robe upon it. They're going to pull that robe off in a minute and open the blood back up again. And again, Jesus is enduring all of this when he could stop at any time. And he's enduring it because he loves 
you. Then it says in verse 30, they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. The official indictment for Jesus, they could not accuse him of anything. You know, usually it would say murderer, robber, rapist above, the, above them when they put them on the cross. We'll see this in a moment. But Jesus, there was no accusation. So they just referred to him as the king of the Jews. So when they disrobed him again, they pulled open all those wounds. His body began to bleed again. The crown of thorns drove the stake-like thorns into his skull. And again, thorns came into existence back in Genesis 3.18. The reed that was to imitate a scepter was purposely uh, some flimsy looking thing, but what would have one hand was like a broom handle and they began to beat him in the face with that. They spit on Jesus, the ultimate act of disdain and humiliation. Jesus just didn't just endure it. He gave himself freely to all the pain, all the torture, all the humiliation, and he did it all out of love for us. I'm gonna tell you how much he loves you about 50 times tonight and I hope you hear it and I hope you don't forget it. Because again, greater love hath no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Amen. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus took it all without fighting back or even speaking. His submission was not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. And again, a sign of his love for us. We deserved it. We deserve it. He endured it. And he did it out of love for you and me. He endured so much for us. And you know, sadly, Christians feel persecuted today when the pews are too hard. Amen when it's too cold outside, when we have to drive a little further because we're no longer meeting in Calabasas and we moved to Caneo Valley. And we, we don't understand persecution at all. We don't understand what it means to really take a stand for the Lord. A lot of times we wimp out when we know the Holy Spirit's telling us to speak up to a neighbor, to share our faith with somebody. And we're so afraid of what people will think that we act almost ashamed of our Savior. You know what? He has reasons, as I said on Sunday, to be ashamed of us. Can I get an amen to that? but he's not. We saw that in the text on Sunday in Hebrews. He's not ashamed of us. He counts us as brethren, even though he knows all the things we've done. We have nothing to be ashamed of him for because he's perfect, holy God. And sometimes we're ashamed of him. And Lord, forgive us when we're ashamed of our savior. Can I get an amen to that? Be reminded of the depths of his love for us. Now they took him away to be crucified. The word crucified is the most shameful and painful way to execute a criminal. So this, this, this uh, degrading, excuse me, was this form of capital punishment that people wouldn't even mention it in polite society. They wouldn't even talk about crucifixion because they thought it was such a vile, vile thing. The Roman executioners had perfected this art of slow torture while keeping the victim alive. Some victims even lingered until they were eaten alive by birds of prey or wild beasts. Most hung on the cross for days before dying of exhaustion, dehydration, uh, or suffocation. When legs could no longer support the weight of their body, the diaphragm uh, was constructed in a way that made breathing impossible. And so they would often break their legs to hasten their death. So every time they breathe on the cross, they would have to pull themselves up. And every time they did, in, in Jesus' case especially, all his skin's wiped away. He's rubbing across the wooden cross and he's having to bring himself up. He's got nails, we, we'll see in a moment. He's got nails through his Achilles heel, you know, through his hands. And he's having all that torment and all that torture and he endured it all because he loves you. The most notable feature of the crucifixion was the stigma of disgrace that was attached to it. The humiliation of carrying one's own cross, which could weigh up to 200 pounds. And so they would have you carry it through the city. And people would spit on them and mock them and throw things at them. And they would just cry out again, crucify them. And this was usually for the worst of all the criminals, and yet Jesus was the one who was going to the cross for us. Four soldiers would escort the prisoner through the crowds of the, to the place of crucifixion, and then a placard bearing the indictment would hang around their neck. So as they're walking to the cross, hanging around their neck would say robber or rapist or murderer. And again, we know what Jesus, it said king of the Jews. So Jesus has been awake all night. He'd been scourged and abused by the soldiers. Jesus began to carry his own cross, but due to exhaustion, he was unable to continue. See, Jesus was, of course, fully God, but he was also fully man. He could not redeem us if he was not fully God, and he could not die for us if he was not fully man. Amen? And he was both. 
That's why any other prophet, other people come along and say they're Messiah. Well, first of all, they're not God, so they can't be. Amen? They're sinners in need of a Savior just like us. They need to be forgiven so they cannot redeem us. And we can, all, we can dig up all their bones. Amen? So notice here, point number one, he endured the pain of mocking from wicked men so that you might be saved. He humbled himself out of love for you. Point number two, even in his time of great physical weakness and suffering, he pressed on out of love for you. Look at verse 32. Now, as they came out, they found a man, Simon, of Cyrene, Simon, by name, him they compelled to bear the cross. We know in the other gospels, we see that Jesus is walking on the way to the cross. He's been scourged. He's been up all night. He's in, he's in great pain and great weakness. He's lost a lot of blood. He's carrying his cross. Now, Simon of Cyrene, Cyrene is North Africa. It's a great distance away from Jerusalem. And he was a proselyte who had become a, a, a Jew, a follower of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And usually, to them, for them to come at the time of Passover it might be something that only happens once in a lifetime. So Simon, who lived a great distance away, made the great journey for the first time, maybe coming into Jerusalem. He's there when, during Passover, the size of the city would multiply up to 10 times as, as it would be normally. And all these people are there to celebrate Passover. And Simon is there with his family. And as he's walking through the town, they stop because they're bringing by those who are being crucified. And as they're coming by, they're being cursed at and things hurled upon them. And Simon is standing there and who knows what he thinks about what's going on. But in the midst of that, we'll see in a moment, he feels this spear or this sword on his shoulder. And it's a Roman soldier saying, hey, Jesus fell right in front of him. Pick up that cross and carry it the rest of the way. Can you imagine you're going in great excitement for, for Passover and now you're walking and being things hurled at you as you're carrying the cross of another man. As you're the one who's this, this cross that's covered in blood, his blood's getting all over you and you're in the midst of, of all the chastisement that's taking place. And no doubt for Simon, he must have thought, what in the world have I done to deserve this? Let me ask you a question. You think Simon's in heaven saying that now? Or do you think he thinks it's the greatest thing he ever got to do in his lifetime was carry the cross of our Savior? Amen? And I think one of the symbols of him carrying the cross is that because man is sinful and Jesus is not. Amen? He did not deserve to be on the cross and he should not be the one carrying the weight of it, though he does take all of our sin upon himself. So they compelled him and moved him to action. And again, on Palm Sunday, they were crying out, Hosanna. Four days later, they're crying out, crucify him. They'll line up along the streets with thousands of others. Simon watches a man carrying the cross to Calvary. The man stumbles in front of him. He feels the sword on his shoulder. And now he's picking up the cross and carrying it. Now, what's interesting, the Jews were in a hurry to get them crucified because they didn't want to defile Passover because they didn't want any dead bodies to touch any dead bodies at Passover, which would defile them. Now, we know that Passover is such an absolute perfect picture of the cross. Can I get an amen to that? Passover is when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt for 430 years because of their own sinful behavior. God sent Moses and then worked through Moses and Aaron and they challenged Pharaoh, and God let them go free. And the last of all the plagues was the plague of that the firstborn would die. Unless you took the blood of a spotless lamb, you examined it for four days to make sure it was without sickness. Then you took the blood of the lamb, you, you, you know, slit its throat, you got the blood, and then you, it wasn't enough to kill the lamb, but the blood of the lamb had to be applied on the doorpost in the shape of a cross. At the head, both sides, and at the feet. Now, if you did not do that, then the firstborn in your household would die. But the angel of death would pass over those who were covered by the blood of the lamb. Guys, it's such a clear picture of Jesus, amen? So it's not by chance that Jesus is being crucified at Passover, amen? The Bible rocks. Everything in the Old Testament, all of it points to Jesus. He's the fulfillment of hundreds of Old Testament prophecies because he is indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords and almighty God in human flesh. And so they want to hurry up and get them on the cross and get them dead so they can celebrate Passover without being defiled. They're worried about the lambs that they're going to sacrifice when the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is staring them right in the face. Amen? And sometimes I think it's sad that because people are so caught up in religion, they completely miss the Savior. 
So Simon places the cross upon his shoulder. The processional goes on to Calvary. Jesus is crucified. And Simon, again, no doubt, is watching and wondering. If you ever wonder what happened to Simon, he became a believer. Both Mark and Paul refer to Simon and his family's faithfulness to God in later texts. Simon went to Jerusalem to sacrifice his Passover lamb, and instead he met the lamb of God who was sacrificed for him, and now he's in heaven with the Lord, spending eternity with him. We call that a divine appointment. Can I get an amen? So praise God for that. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The key to this life is to take up the cross and to die to ourselves. Living for yourself, you'll end up dying. Life will be a drag. You'll be unhappy, cynical, bitter, mean. As my grandmother used to say, ugly. So don't be ugly. (laughs) But if you die to self, you'll find that the burden is light, that there's joy and there's peace in knowing the one who created you to have a relationship with him. Die to promoting self, being comfortable, getting noticed, uh, live a life that points others to the Lord. Verse 33. So when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Golgotha is also translated Calvary. So the place of the skull... Golgotha, it's also Calvary, so you go to Place of the Skull Chapel. <laughs> Amen. If you've been to Israel, it's amazing, 2,000 years later, Golgotha is so easy. You see the face of a skull in the side of this mountain. It's not as clear as it probably was 2,000 years ago, but it's very easy to see where it is. And again, we'll go to Israel again if they ever let us travel. Can I get an amen? And I want you to know that the place is real. It's on the outskirts of town. It's where all the people would be entering into Jerusalem. So they, carry, they take Jesus out to this place, again, a place of humiliation. Now, what they gave him to drink, we know, was actually myrrh. Now, where, do, where else do we see myrrh in the Bible? At his birth. And myrrh was really a, a, something they used for embalming, but it also was used to, you know, deaden the feelings. And so here's Jesus being given something to deaden the pain, and he refuses He will not deaden the pain because he's enduring it out of his love for us. It was also given to him as as his birth because he is the anointed one and he came to earth to die. The Bible tells us that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He knew before he created the heavens and the earth that we were going to fall, that we were going to fail, that we were going to sin. And he already knew before he even created you, before he created the world, that he was going to have to suffer and die in our place. Verse 34. Verse 35, excuse me. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. In John 19, it tells us that Jesus' garment was without seam, so it could not be divided, and they gambled in gambled for his clothing. Now, we know when Jesus was put on the cross, that again. He was in total weakness, right? Because he's fully God, but he was fully man. And if he'd take on his Godship, you know, if he wanted to, he could have stopped it all, but he didn't because he loves you. And I can say this with great assurity. He's the only man who was ever crucified who didn't fight him off when they were putting nails through his hands. Can I get an amen to that? If someone puts put nails through my hands, I'm going down swinging. How about you? Amen? But Jesus could have stopped it anytime he wanted to. There's not a doubt in my mind. Of course, he allowed it to happen. So they drive them really through your wrist where all the nerves are. They do this on purpose. Then through your Achilles heel on the back of your legs, and they pounded it through. So here he is pushing off of his Achilles heel, off of his feet. And he's there, and every time he moves, he's feeling all the pain vibrating through his body. And again, he could have stopped at any time he wanted, but he thought about you, and he continued to suffer. Look at verse 36 and 37. It says, sitting down, they kept watch over him there, And they put over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Now, I love this because they wrote it in the three languages that everyone would recognize walking by. And so as they walked by in Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, as they walked by and they saw, they saw that this is the first ever Bible track. Can I get an amen? It was the first, as everybody's walking by in droves and they're looking up at the Savior and there he is suffering for them. They don't understand who he is, but they see the King of the Jews. And guys, that's who our Savior is. And Lord, help us to never be ashamed of that. Can I get an amen? 
Here's the good news. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. Jesus is still king. It doesn't matter what the world says. God is still in control. God is faithful. And guess what? He wins. I've read the end of the book. Can I get an amen? So God, we can trust in the sovereignty and the faithfulness and the graciousness of our God because he is indeed the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We know that one of the thieves from other texts looked and saw what was written about Jesus. And no doubt he may have heard about what took place even prior to that. While everybody else mocked him, one of the thieves turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. One of them said, get us down from here if you're God. And the other one said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. More proof, there's no soul sleep. You close your eyes on earth, you open them up in glory. Christians don't die. We move to a much better neighborhood, amen? And praise God for that. So robber, the, the word speaks of a, a rebel. Look at verse 38 there. And it says, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, way, wagging their heads and saying, you destroy the temple and build it up in three days. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. They're telling Jesus to come down from the cross if he is the son of God. But guys, because he is the son of God, he will not come down from the cross because as the son of God, he knew he was the only one that could redeem you and me. Only through him can we be adopted, accepted, redeemed, chosen, and forgiven. Amen? And so as they mocked him, he was far more concerned about your eternity than his own humiliation. Again, what a great and awesome God we serve. Now, those two men that were next to him, one ridiculed him and one repented. Guys, we have exposure to Jesus, but every one of us must make our own decision about the Lord. God has no grandchildren, amen? You don't get saved because your parents are saved. You're not gonna go to heaven because you came to church once in a while, or you read your Bible, or you gave to charity, or you were a nice person. Let me clue you all in if you didn't know this. Everybody in this room is a sinner. Can I get an amen to that? How many sins does it take to be a sinner? Amen. And by the way, we can put a bunch of zeros past that one for all, every one of us in the room. Amen. So we are, while we were yet sinners. So again, he knows you best. He loves you most. He hung on the cross knowing who we would be and what we would do and the thoughts we would have and the actions we would take. And he still loved us in spite of who we are. Jesus was not crucified on some quiet hillside. As we noticed, people came by and they were screaming at him. This was rush hour at Passover. People were coming in. It'd be like getting crucified on the 101 freeway. And what's happening, everybody coming by is looking up and they're mocking all three of the people hanging on the cross and they're mocking our savior and they're taunting him. And then those religious leaders, the very ones who were supposed to represent Jesus Christ, the very ones who should have been preaching the gospel, saying that he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy. He was born in a manger. He was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. We can go on. He was, he, he was also called a Nazarene. All these things are in scripture. There's hundreds of them. He fulfilled them all. And instead of pointing men to Jesus, he mocked the Savior. So be careful. Just because somebody wears a robe doesn't mean they're speaking for Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Matter of fact, most people who wear robes aren't. Can I get an amen? Because it's not about us being elevated and having some title and putting a, a wall in front of God's people. We're all sinners in desperate need of a savior and we should walk in humility before the Lord. So he wasn't crucified on some quiet hillside. He was executed on a public highway, one of the busiest travel days of the year. And those who passed by Jesus mocked him. He said he, he, said he was gonna tear down the temple and raise it up in three days. Jesus had told them that earlier, and they're mocking him because the temple, as we know, if you were here when Solomon's temple was built, it took years to build it. And Jesus said he was going to take it down and rebuild it in three days. Well, of course, what he's talking about is himself, that he's going to the cross, he's going to die, and in three days, he's going to raise from the dead. And they begin to mock him saying, well, if he can tear down the temple and raise it back up in three days, why doesn't he just get down from the cross? Aren't you glad he didn't? If he did, we wouldn't even be here. Can I get an amen? Notice what it says there in verse 41. Likewise, the chief priest, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross 
and we will believe him. There are always those who are looking for another miracle to, for, to make God prove that he's God. Amen. I've met people all the time. Well, if God's real, tell them to come down here right now and stand right here in front of me, and then I'll believe. The Bible tells us, we know from Luke 16, with Lazarus and the rich man, where the rich man, after he's, he's burning in hell, separated from God, wants the Lord to send prophets to talk to them or send Lazarus back to talk to his family. And what does he say? He says, look, if they will not believe the law and the prophets, they won't believe even if an angel comes back and tells them, amen. Guys, if the word of God is not enough for you, 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. How's that possible? Because God wrote the book. And guys, the prophecies in the book, the, the miracles, in the, everything that's in the Bible, it's, it's not, we're not reading Moby Dick, amen? This is the living, breathing word of God. It's the only book that not only do you read it, but it reads you and it transforms your life, amen? And sadly, there are those there that are mocking our Savior. Now, it's interesting that he said he, they said he saved others. They at least acknowledge that, amen? He saved others. Yeah, he did save others. And guess what? Even though the Lord saved others, we still need to be saved. Here's the reality. Salvation is offered universally. It must be accepted individually. And it's not, again, it's not accepted by being baptized. Should you be baptized? What's the answer? But just getting, does baptism mean you're automatically saved? What's the answer? When I was pastoring the church in Santa Cruz, we used to have a lot of, there were a lot of homeless people that go down to the beach. And uh, I told a guy one time, I said, if we handed out bottles of whiskey, we could get them all baptized. What do you think? Just because somebody gets baptized doesn't mean they've surrendered their life to the Lord. Amen? Guys, it's not just the outward, uh, you know, it, there needs to be a change. There needs to be a transformation. The word repent means to turn around, to change your mind. You're headed in this direction, and then the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you recognize your desperate need for a Savior, and you surrender your life to Him. You, you know, are no longer on the throne of your life, but now the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Amen? You become a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. And so that he saved others. Why doesn't he save himself? Well, Jesus, Jesus didn't need to be saved. Can I get an amen? He's the savior of the world. Jesus did not come to save his life, but to give his life as a ransom for many. The world wants a, a Christ, but they don't want a cross. When they find out you're a pastor, you'll be amazed at the things people tell you. Well, I'm really spiritual. I'm just really spiritual. I'm a spiritual being. I just, I'm all about spiritual things. And I'll say, what does that mean, bro? What are you talking about? What does that mean you're spiritual? What does that mean? I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, I just believe in all things supernatural. You know, I said, let's just cut to the chase. Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? Oh, he's a good teacher. Okay, good. Do good teachers lie? No, good. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So the only way you can get to heaven is through Jesus, because he said so, and you, you admit that as a good teacher, he couldn't lie. Can I get an amen to that? Oh, it's a Christ consciousness. I'm into the Christ consciousness. I passed through a church in Santa Cruz. I'm sorry. It's the Tofu Tide I knew as lesbian Capital United States. And Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. And they need Jesus. Amen? Hinduism. Been to India many times, teaching up to a thousand pastors at a time. They have 30 million gods. You walk through, there's, there's idols to their gods everywhere you look. I remember when Chuck Smith, someone said to, Chuck Smith was ministering to a Hindu guy. He goes, well, I'm a Hindu. And and all Chuck said was, how's that working out for India? How's that working out? How's that whole Hindu Hinduism thing working out? They believe they're going to, they, they elevate to higher levels through reincarnation. See, you can't have appointed for man once to live and then to die in the, ju in the judgment and reincarnation. Amen? Only one of those can be true. Just being spiritual. I'm just going to fade into nothingness. I'm a Buddhist. I'm going to fade into nothingness. As the, guy, the man said who ran the, the place where my mom was, he said, when I die, I'm just going to go on the ground and lie there. Guess what? You don't make the rules of what happens after your death. The one who created you does, and nobody's laying in the ground for eternity. Amen? We're all going to spend eternity somewhere. He only creates infinite beings, and you're one of them. And now, where are we going to spend eternity? It all depends on what we've done with God's son. We're living t t t now. I was just in Santa Cruz, and I'm driving through town, and I saw more, I saw more uh, you know, political protest posters and, and, you know, homosexuality flags and everything else on the fronts of churches than I saw crosses. People are taking the cross away because they find it as offense. You know what's offensive? Rejecting what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
And we've taken the cross away. We want to take it down. We want to remove it. People have sued people because they have a cross on a hillside and they have to see it when they drive by. But nobody complains about the Buddha in the Chinese restaurant. Can I get an amen? But people want to take it down. Why? Because the cross of Christ brings conviction because we know deep down that we're sinners in need of a savior. And it brings conviction to every one of us. It was true that Jesus saved others, but if he had saved himself, you and I would not be able to go to heaven. And the religious leaders were so concerned with heavenly signs and seeing the miraculous that they were blind to the signs that Jesus fulfilled. By the way, creation declares his glory. Can I get an amen? If you're taking a human anatomy class, take a human anatomy class, cut open a human being, look at the inside of a human being and tell me that happened by from the goo to the zoo to you. Can I get an amen? None of that, nothing happens by random chance. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the creator of all things. You look at the number of bones in the human ear. You look at the human eye. You look at our distance from here and, and, the, and the sun. You move us 1% away, we freeze to death. Once in closer, we all burn up. Look at our atmosphere, how God created it, that the trees give off what we breathe and they take in what we, what we exhale. Amen? God created everything and God is perfect. Amen? And when we doubt and question the Lord and we say, well, if God will just show me another miracle, all he's done is shown you miracles since the day you drew your first breath. Can I get an amen? He continues to show us miracles day by day by day. Now notice what happens. The mocking is going to continue. He trusted God, verse 43, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Even robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the very same thing. From not only those passing by, but the religious leaders whose lack of true understanding of God's word and their self-righteous attitudes hardened, had hardened hearts. Again, few things are more nauseating than somebody who acts like they represent the Lord and they're arrogant and self-righteous. Amen. Have we ever done that in our own lives? Can I get an amen to that? We need to be humble, broken, and desperate and recognize we're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen. We're all sinners and we're not better than somebody who believes something else. There before the grace of God goes every one of us. Amen. And we need to love those people and we need to draw them to the Lord. We must never be self-righteous. We must never be arrogant. We must never think we're more important because we're not. Jesus loves them just as much. Jesus died for them just as he died for us. So he's even reviled by those being crucified with him. And we know that one of them did repent. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So Jesus has been betrayed. He's been denied. He's been abandoned. He's been falsely accused. He's been scourged. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's wearing a crown of thorns. He's been nailed to the cross. He's struggling to breathe. And everyone who's walking by is mocking him in, the most, in, in his time of torment. And here's the reality. The worst is still to come. All that Jesus has endured already the worst is still to come because the worst part is going to be not the physical torment as bad as it is, but the spiritual separation from the father. So Jesus would prove his statement that indeed, again, that he is the son of God, not by delivering himself from the cross, but by enduring the cross and paying the price for our sins and then raising from the dead. Hey, Jesus, you trusted God. Now look at you. You could just hear the religious leaders the world will tell you the same thing. You know, the religious leaders thought they won a great victory when Jesus went to the cross. And so did an angel that fell from heaven by the name of Lucifer. Can I get an amen? And they thought they had won a great victory. And they thought they had defeated the Savior of the world. But again, it was only Friday, but Sunday's a coming. Amen? Hey, Mr. Christian, in the midst of your trials, where is your God now? See, people will challenge your faith when you're going through difficulty, when you're going through health issues, when you've got a, a wayward child, when you have financial struggles, whatever you may be going through in your life, and the world's watching. And when you're going through difficulty, they will mock you sometimes. We need to respond like the Lord and point them to the Lord and remain humble, broken, and desperate and recognize that, again, there's no suffering is wasted and everything we go through, God will use for his glory if we will let him. So point number two of the greatest act of love, even in his time of greatest physical weakness and suffering, he pressed on out of love for you. Number three, he suffered as if you lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. Look at verse 45. Now the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. Now, the sixth hour 
is from sunrise. That's noon. Say sunrise is 6 a.m. roughly. Six hours later would be noon. And so it was dark. Darkness hit the land. And the word for land there is geo. It's where we get the word for geography. And it literally means the whole earth. So we went pitch black on the entire planet. When Jesus was hanging on the cross during that time when he knew separation from the Father and the sin of all mankind was being placed upon him. All the sins past, present, and future being placed upon the Savior of the world. Now what's amazing to me, and I love how the Bible so uniquely fits together, the whole world is blanketed with darkness as Jesus took our sin upon himself. But when Jesus was born, a star shone over the manger and light flooded the sky. See, he is the light of the world, amen? And when he came into being, the light shone brightly. And then when all of sin of mankind, we saw that there was darkness upon the land. He was being killed and darkness was covering the world. And when man rejected the light of the world, he experienced darkness covering the world. You know, it's interesting. There were three days of darkness in Egypt before Passover. It's in Exodus chapter 10. Three days of darkness before Passover. And now when Jesus is being crucified at Passover, there's three hours of darkness that cover the entire land. Three hours of darkness before the Lamb of God died for the sins of the world. And think about it, the weight of all of humanity's sin upon the Savior. He knew no sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Think about this. Every rape, every murder, every adulterous act, every lustful or prideful thought, every outburst of anger, every lie that's ever been told, every bit of gossip that's ever been spread, every disrespectful action that's ever taken place toward parents or employers or those in authority, every act of fornication or theft or cheating, every curse word ever spoken, every act of hatred and violence, every child that's been molested, every baby that's been aborted, every false god that's been worshiped, every self-righteous thought or glance, every sin ever committed, past, present, and future, every sin I have committed, every sin you have ever committed was all being poured out upon our Savior all at once, and he endured it all out of love for you. What a great and awesome God we serve. We cannot praise him enough. We cannot worship him enough. Amen? You try to put this in human terms, it's impossible. When I was a youth, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, Chris was in my youth group. That shows you how old I am because he's got gray hair and he was in my youth group. So what does that tell you? <laughs> but the reality is, it would be like the real, if you stood before a judge and you owed $50 million in debt and you had $2 in your pocket and, the, and if you couldn't pay the debt, you were going to be executed. And then the judge who sentences you, comes down and says, I'll pay his debt for him. That's what Jesus did for us. Can I get an amen? He is a righteous, holy, and just, and just God. He's, he is the one who will judge us. Jesus is the judge on judgment day. But again, while we're yet sinners, he died for us. He recognizes that we're sinners, that we need to be judged for our sin, but he loved us enough to take our place and die that we might have eternal life. Every other time Jesus addressed his father, he would always say, Abba, look what he says in verse 46. About the ninth hour, it's about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every other time in the Bible, when Jesus addresses his father, he calls him Abba. Abba is daddy. I've shared this story with you before. I was in Russia and we were handing out Bibles on a street corner and this uh, Russian Orthodox priest came up to us and was offended that we were handing out Bibles. He said, the problem with you American Christians is you think Jesus is near. And we know that Jesus is far away. We're just a speck of dust in, the, in this huge universe. And God is so far away, he doesn't even have time for us. And we had an interpreter who was a lady probably in her 80s. And she stopped the priest and she said, excuse me, do you read the Bible? She said, what is one of the names of God in the Bible? It's Abba and Abba is daddy and daddy is never far away. Can I get an amen to that? Daddy's the one whose lap you can crawl up into, that you have intimate fellowship with. And that's our Savior. He's not a faraway, distant God. But notice that Jesus here doesn't call his dad Abba. At this place, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Habakkuk tells us, you are, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil, and you cannot look on wickedness. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, for him who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Our heavenly father is loving and gracious and holy and just, and he cannot have sin in his presence. See, this is why it won't work. Because if one sins in heaven, we have earth part two. Amen. 
It was one sin in the Garden of Eden that made everything die. It was one sin in the Garden of Eden that separated us from God and they no longer could walk in the cool of the day and talk, talk directly to the Lord. We've all admitted we're all sinners. There can't be one sin in heaven. We've got a problem. Well, good news is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and he paid the price for our sin that you and I might be redeemed, that you and I might be forgiven. The father had no choice but to turn his back on his son, and Jesus felt the agony of isolation. You can hear the agony in his voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he knew separation from the father. He cried out these words so we don't have to. We're never going to have to say to our heavenly father, why have you forsaken me? We'll never have to say to our heavenly father, why are you banishing me to hell? You know why? We don't have to say it because Jesus said it. Can I get an Amen. We won't have to suffer because Jesus suffered in our place. Again, he suffered as if you lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. What a great and awesome God we serve. Jesus was forsaken so that you and I could be forgiven. Those who were taunting Jesus as he paid for their sins should have known Jesus was quoting Psalm 22, the classic psalm that describes the crucifixion of the Messiah. Even, even as he was dying, Jesus was still cluing them in as they mocked him and tried to tell him, read this scripture, it's happening right in front of you. This is the problem today. We have people that are religious and lost, and they're religious and lost because they don't know the word of God or the God of the word, Amen because we fall into a trap of following in religious rituals, but we don't know the God of the Savior, the Savior of the, of the, of the Word. Amen? We don't know the God of the Word. It, you know, the Bible tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was flesh and dwelt among us. Amen? He is the Word, and that He gives us His Word that we might know Him in an intimate way. They were walking in darkness because they did not comprehend the light of the Word or the light of the world. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by... It's the word of God, and that's why we need to read the book. Don't wait for the movie, amen? Verse 47 to 50. Some of those who stood there, when he heard what he said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it for him to drink. And the rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. According to John 19, he said, I thirst. And when Jesus said, I thirst. Then they brought this sour wine yet again to try to dull this pain. And Jesus wanted no part of it. Verse 50. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. We know from the other texts that this is where he says, to talistai, to talistai. It means it is finished or paid in full. Jesus didn't die. He yielded up his spirit. Nobody could take it from him. He freely laid it down. His life wasn't taken. He gave it away. At last, the price was paid. Now, let me tell you about this word to tell us quickly and how it was used because Jesus, they all define Jesus. To tell us it is finished. It's, it stands finished. It will always be finished. That's what it means. So it was used when a servant informed his master that he had completed a task. He was given a task. He would come back and tell his master, to Tetelestai, it is finished. Used by a priest when he examined a sacrifice and he found that it was faultless and it could be used to sacrifice and they would, they would cry out, to Tetelestai, it is finished. When an artist completed a painting or a picture, he would cry out, to Tetelestai, it is finished. When a writer completed a manuscript, he would cry out, to Talestai, it is finished. And it was used by merchants when a debt was paid in full. To Talestai, it is finished. Jesus is the servant who came to the Father and said, To Talestai, because he had completed the task. He was the one that was examined and found without sin. To Talestai. He was, again, the picture of our heavenly Father coming to earth. That we can, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, to Talestai. He's the one who wrote the manuscript, the one that you're holding in your lap right now, the Bible, it is finished, to Talestai, amen? It was used by merchants, again, when the debt was paid in full. Here's the good news, the debt has been paid, paid in full. We are redeemed, we're holy, we're forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Point number three there, he suffered as if you lived your life, so you might be rewarded as if you lived his. Number four, he tore the veil of separation between sinful man and holy God. And boy, do I love this. Verse 51, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. 
And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Hey, by the way, you wanted a miracle? Here you go. Show us a miracle, and then we'll believe. Well, you know what I love about this? The veil was torn. And again, you know the temple and the tabernacle. We've talked about this many times. We go through the Old Testament. But the temple, all of it points to Jesus. The bronze altar is a picture of the cross. They would take animals. There were four, four places where the blood was, was sprinkled on the four horns. Again, like the four points of the cross. The bronze laver where they would cleanse themselves. They would go in and that's what Jesus does, right? Through his blood, we are cleansed. They would walk into the holy, holy place. And when they walk into the holy place, what did they see? They saw the table of showbread. He is the bread of life. They saw the golden lampstand. He's the light of the world. They saw the altar of incense that 24 hours a day, incense was lit and it would pour into the holy of holies. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. Amen? But in the Holy of Holies, there was a veil. And only on the Day of Atonement could only the high priest enter in. And when he would enter in, he would take the blood of the Lamb and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which, which covers the ark. Now, can think of this ark as a box, not a boat. Can I get an amen? And so this ark had three things in it. It had manna. Again, God's, God's sustaining them in the wilderness, and he's the bread of life. It had Aaron's rod that had budded, proving he was the high priest. Jesus is our great high priest. And it had the Ten Commandments, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the word of God. Amen? And on top of it was the mercy seat. See, the law, can't, keeping the law cannot save you. Only God's mercy can cover it. Can I get an amen? The law is a taskmaster that leads us to a cross. It shows us that we're sinners in need of a Savior. You know, that if you open up the Bible, it's a mirror, and it reveals to us that we have fallen short. Now, on that mercy seat were two angels, cherubim, and their wings touched in the middle. And so he came in and he sprinkles the blood upon it on the day of atonement. Now what's amazing, we'll see this on Sunday, when Mary comes in the morning, and she comes into the, to the, to the tomb, there's going to be an angel standing at the head and the feet and blood-soaked blood, uh, cloth in the middle that Jesus had, had been wearing when he was buried. And again, it was always pictured in the Ark of the Covenant for thousands of years because Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. Can I get an amen? Now, the veil's been torn. When Jesus died on the cross, now this veil that was in the temple, it would take dozens of priests. It was very heavy and very thick, 60 feet tall, and they would put this thing, and only the high priest could go in. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, I love it, it says it was torn from top to bottom because Almighty God tore it. Can I get an amen? Tore it open. You know what that means? We can enter into the Holy of Holies anywhere at any time because no longer is it the blood of lambs and goats, but it's the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now we can enter into intimate fellowship with a God when we're driving down the freeway. Amen? Anywhere and any time, you can come into his presence. You can speak to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Praise God that the veil's been torn. Amen? And we've been forgiven by his grace. So the veil was torn. On that day, the Again, no longer was it just for the high priest, no longer just on the day of atonement because our sins have been atoned for. It says in Exodus 19, when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, the earth shook. And isn't it interesting when the law was given, the earth shook, and when we were forgiven, the earth shook. Amen? Law showed us our need for a savior and Jesus fulfilled what the law demanded. Now, dead people got up and walked around. How many of you guys knew that? When Jesus rose from the dead, dead people got up and went into the city and walked around. How did everyone not get saved? <laughs> it already went dark. The whole earth quaked. The Roman soldiers even said, truly, this is the son of God. His tomb's empty. Jesus is walking around. He's preaching the truth. Amen. And if, if you go to grandma's funeral and she shows up at your house 17 years later... I'm thinking miracle. Can I get an amen to that? If, if the great-grandparent you never met shows up at your house knocking on the door, I'm thinking it's time for everyone to repent. But here's what this shows. It shows the arrogance of those of us who are, when we're still in our sins, we don't want to be forgiven. We don't want, we don't want to give up the throne of our lives. I mean, people all the time, you know, I have a full-time job. One of my full former bosses said, well, I become a Christian like you, Dave. You seem to have a lot of joy and, you know, all the Christians in the office love God, but I don't want to give up whiskey. If I give my life to the Lord, I'll have to give up whiskey. I drink whiskey every night. I get drunk pretty much every night. And I'm like, so whiskey, that's what you're going to hell for. Whiskey? Really? Is that worth it? What do you think? Amen? Guys, 
God, when you give your life to the Lord, you give up nothing, you gain everything. Can I get an amen to that? What we have in Christ is so much better. We don't need spirits, alcohol. We got the spirit. Can I get an amen? And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have joy. When you're filled with spirits, you know, I went out and drank a bunch of alcohol, made a bunch of great decisions, said no one ever. Can I get an amen to that? It's foolish and sad and tragic. What a trip to see these people. Someone may have died a thousand years before. We don't know. But their graves opened up. They got up and they walked into the city. And again, hey, Pharisees, here's my grandma. (laughs) She died 17 years ago. Here's a miracle. Do we see the Pharisees getting saved in droves? What's the answer? Fortunately, a few did. Amen. A few did give their lives to the Lord, but sadly, most did not. Notice what it says there in verse 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the son of God. The only thing they made a mistake here is this is the son of God. Not was, but is. Amen. Now, centurions commanded a hundred men. These guys were tough guys and fighters and warriors who were chosen, chosen for bravery. They saw a darkened sky. They felt the earthquake. They heard Jesus' words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, and saying, it is finished, and they believed. They got past being so caught up in following after the world around them that they recognized Jesus for who he is. Guys, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say? Who do you want watching on live stream or watching on YouTube later? Who do you say that Jesus is? He's more than a good teacher. He's the savior of the world. Amen. There's only one conclusion for this man who had been crucified. Only thing they could do once they really thought about who he was, was confess him. They confessed that he is indeed the son of God. A truth that escaped the religious leaders and those preparing for Passover. Let's finish up. Then it says there in verse 55, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministered to him where they were looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and and Hosus or Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's son. Women were looking on from afar. All the disciples we know had fled. They'd all run away in fear. They were up in the upper room weeping. Peter, if you'll remember, who said, I will, I you know, I will never deny the Lord. When he denied the Lord, he cursed and ran away and was weeping. And one of the many things I love about our Savior, when he rose from the dead, what did he tell Mary? Go tell my disciples, and especially, and especially Peter, that I have risen. How do you think those words sounded to Peter after he denied the Lord three times, after he cursed and said he didn't know him? And then he gets the word from Mary, go tell the disciples, hey, Pete, especially you, bro. Jesus wants you to know he's risen. You know what that means? He's forgiven you. Can I get an amen to that? You know that Jesus deni- Peter denied Jesus three times. We see later that Peter's out fishing and the Lord calls him in to the shore. And when he calls him in, he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my, you know, feed my sheep, right? And he, three times he had denied him and the Lord allows him to confess his love for him three times. And what's awesome about it is the word for that fire that took place there is anthrokia. It's in the Bible twice. The only other time you see it is when he was over this hot coal fire when he cussed and said he did not know Jesus. Guys, you know how smells bring you back to places, amen? And the next time he smells that same hot coal fire is when Jesus lets him confess him three times. What a gracious God we serve. Can I get an amen to that? You can take a thousand steps away. You can take a million steps away from God. It truly is only one step back. He desires to have intimate fellowship with you. By the way, you're not so good you don't need to be saved. You're not so bad that you can't be saved. Can I get an amen to that? Just covered everybody in the room. Amen? If you're like, well, I'm pretty good. I don't need... Yeah, you do. You need to be saved, bro. You're a sinner. And you know, some of you say, man, I'm so bad. If you knew how bad I was, again, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Cannot sin so much that you cannot be forgiven. Let's read the last, three verse, the last four verses here. And then we're going to pick up with this on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to give away what happens, though. <laughs> now, when evening had come, they came in a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. And the men went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. And when Joseph had spoke, taken the body and wrapped in clean linen cloth, he laid it in a new tomb and hewn out of a rock. He rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Now you got to come back on Sunday to see what happens. Amen. So Jesus is in the tomb. The enemy thinks he's won the battle. The Pharisees are celebrating. The apostles are hiding. Lucifer is laughing. 
But it's only Friday. It's only Friday. But Sunday's coming. Amen. So the greatest act of love, greater love of no man than this that he laid down his life for his friends. He endured pain and mocking from wicked men so you and I might be saved. He humbled himself out of love for you. Even in his time of greatest physical weakness and suffering, he pressed on out of love for you. He suffered as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. He felt the pain of sin and separation so that we might know the joy of intimate and eternal fellowship. We were talking, several of us have had people close to us go to heaven recently. And here's the good news. Heaven's better. And heaven's better because Jesus is there. Can I get an amen? And we have the promise of eternal life if we know the Lord. And if we don't know him, we do not have such a promise. Then verse number five, he tore down the veil of separation between sinful man and holy God. You're as close to God as you want to be. God is not, doesn't, isn't pushing himself away from you. You push yourself away from him. If you want to have intimate self-fellowship with God, spend time in prayer, spend time in the word, spend time in fellowship, spend time in his presence. He desires intimate fellowship with you. He's Abba, amen? I'm a papa. Nobody loves my grandkids crawling in my lap, amen? I love it. I love them, and the Lord loves you. And then finally, he triumphed over sin, death, and we'll see on Sunday the grave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. We thank you for the greatest act of love in all of human history the greatest love story ever written, the greatest love story that ever took place when perfect holy God came to earth, took on all of our sin upon himself, suffered and died in our place that we might be redeemed and forgiven. The Bible tells us that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Salvation doesn't come by a bunch of good works that we do. Works are fruit of salvation, not the source of salvation. There should be good works in our lives. But if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a public profession. The Holy Spirit has convicted you and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, let today be the day of salvation. It says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you recognize that you're a sinner and you recognize Holy Spirit has prompted your heart and convicted you and you recognize that Jesus indeed is the Savior of the world. He died in your place. And you want to know that you're forgiven. Now that's more than just praying a prayer, but it's surrendering your life, not just making him Savior, but the Lord of your life. If you're ready to put Jesus on the throne, to surrender your life fully to him, to call him not just Savior, but Lord. Just raise your hand right where you are and I'll pray with you, anybody at all. Let today be the day of salvation. Don't leave here without him. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Anybody at home or watching on live stream or watching on YouTube later, you can pray this prayer as well. Just come humbly before the Lord, if that's you, and just say, Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. Lord, please, please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is God that he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. Lord, I know that I need to be forgiven. Lord, I ask you not just to be my savior, but the Lord of my life. I wanna lay my life at your feet. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you. I believe by faith that confessing my sin and asking you to forgive me, that I've been forgiven, that my name's written in the Lamb's book of life and I have the promise of heaven. Help me, Lord, to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.